This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by James Heal and Isabel Hartman. So the Chancellor will deliver his autumn statement next week and Rishi Sunak will hope to stamp his authority onto a uh, fracturing party after a difficult few days. Um, James, there's lots of rumours swirling around about what might be included in Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement. Can you take us through what could be announced? Sure. So as per usual, there's always a bit of pre-budget or pre-autumn statement briefing in terms of different departments getting involved, looking at what is going to be in the autumn statement and what isn't. And it seems that, I think that a key part of this is going to be what is inflationary and what isn't. So the measures which are seen as not going to be leading to additional spending and putting money in the economy were going to be the ones that go forward in this. So that's why I think that we're seeing stuff around businesses. Full expensing, which was a permanent measure introduced in the budget earlier this year in March, is like, possibly going to be made permanent. That's just process whereby businesses can offset their expenses against the corporation tax that they pay. And so there's, I think, quite a positive noises from that from the business community. That, of course, though, is you know, possibly at the expense of things in terms of personal taxation. And I think what, you know, looking at some of the measures being proposed, another one possibly being a cut in inheritance tax, that'll play well with certain constituencies, for instance, in the South, where inheritance taxes is largely um, artificially inflated because of property prices, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when you pass on, you know, when you impart an inheritance to your child, that means that because of the property prices, they're paying a lot more. So I think that the concern is among these these ideas is that first of all from constituencies which aren't kind of in those places where they have high property prices so for instance those red wall seats are saying hang on a sec well you know my constituents are far less affected by inheritance tax which is why you see a split in things like the conservative growth group where Ranald Jayawardena is in Hampshire and he's very much been campaigning for an inheritance tax cut whereas Simon Clark who's the other leader who's in a red wall constituency of Middlesbrough that's why he's not so much a favourite fan of that so I think there's the concern is that all of these things are quite sen- quote unquote sensible and there's a lot of kind of support among kind of the businesses some of the Conservative MPs I'm talking to are saying, well, it's, you know, good stuff, but we really need a kind of thing, something to shift the dial mm. and to do so in a way, well, obviously they don't want to jeopardise after all that hard work getting inflation down in terms of pay restraint over the past year. But there are some saying, well, what's the big theme? What's the idea? So I think we're likely to see more in the same vein of, of, of previous months and what we saw in the budget earlier this year, some sensible stuff. But I think the, the calculation currently being made within government is that it's better to carry on the, the, the current path rather than sort of try to be seen as giving too much of a giveaway at this stage of the electoral cycle. Yeah. And Isabel, hearing all that, is anything that you're optimistic about ahead of Autumn Statement next week? I'm never optimistic about anything because it (laughs) means that my expectations are always exceeded. Um, And I think, look, number 10 is hoping that it will use this Autumn Statement to change the political weather, to give Tory MPs what they've been asking for for, well, you know, well over a year now which is um, a reminder that the Conservative Party believes in low taxes and that it's not comfortable with the size of the tax burden at the moment. I think, though, given the number of attempts to change the dial, to move the dial that Rishi Sunak has has had over the past few months, he would probably... He would be best to be a pessimist, I think, because uh, his rebrands, his relaunches, his new messages... have not really made that much difference, either to the Tory mood or, or, or to the polls. His 
reshuffle has not helped the conservative mood um at all as far as i can work out um partly because actually conservative mps don't really know what they're supposed to make of it uh, they don't know what the the message of it was and they'll be hoping and a few that i've been talking to over the past couple of days have been saying that we, we we just need to get some kind of idea of what we're supposed to be saying on the doorstep um because it's sort of you know back to the future for a new change an end to the 30-year consensus by bringing david cameron back we're a low tax party that that bring, gives you a high tax burden you know that they, they just don't really know and cutting taxes will definitely help with that absolutely but will the autumn statement actually end up overall being a bit of a mess of measures. We had the um, suggestion last night from Jeremy Hunt that the government's going to um, introduce further conditionality into the benefit system so that people who have refused to engage um, with Job Centre Plus and are not doing anything to actively look for work despite being uh, medically fit to, to go back into employment would uh, lose their entitlement to free NHS prescriptions, uh, NHS dentistry, which probably won't make that much difference because NHS dentistry barely exists, um, and other sort of healthcare benefits that you get when you're um, on a very low income or indeed out of work. Now, I, I think that's interesting because, again, that that actually signals a return to the kind of the Cameron era where we had George Osborne sort of, you know, using the benefit system as a political tool and to try to wind up Labour. But I think voters, just looking at the polls, voters have kind of changed their mind on welfare over the past few years, um, partly as a result of the pandemic and the furlough scheme and a, a, a bit more of a sense that actually welfare has been cut quite quite harshly over the past decade. Um, so again, I, d- I don't know what sort of message Rishi Sunak wants to send from that. Does he want to have a kind of strivers versus skivers frame? Is it just so they can save a bit of money? Does it actually save that much money? It's not really clear what the overall thrust of the autumn statement will be. And just to say on that, I think that definitely the 2015 election seems to be much more of the playbook than, say, 2019, where it's the Red Wall election. And I think um, it's interesting that uh, sitting inside around the cabinet table today, uh, this week, was not just you know, David Cameron, but next to him was uh, Oliver Dowden, very much involved in that 2015 election, and, of course, newly promoted Laura Trott, who co-authored that 2015 manifesto. So I think that 2015 seems to be some of who... some of the It seems to be the lodestar for some of... Uh, which is your next current number 10 circle. Mm. And James, all the while, we've got um, rumours of more letters of no confidence perhaps coming in against Rishi Sunak, yeah. Prime Minister. How much of an immediate threat do you think these sort of new Conservatives are and these these other factions that, that are sort of coming to the fore in the Conservative Party? Well, I suppose the optimist's take is that, from Rishi Sunak's point of view, is that, you know, we didn't really have open warfare this week. I think in some ways that perhaps vindicates his decision to... Uh, sack Suella Bradman two days before the Rwanda verdict. Clearly, Rwanda is a big concern. I think there's a difference between those who are around Suella Bradman personally and more those who were there because they're concerned about the Rwanda policy. And I think that's a much bigger following. So I think we'll wait and see until Monday when Rishi Sunak set to announce his plan, which is a kind of two-track solution, which is going to be a treaty change with Rwanda and also emergency legislation going through uh, parliament but i think that it is a it is certainly a concern and i think that the the, the question is of course is how can given the i think the cookie question is time you have got 14 months at most to get all this through unless you pro something like Suella Braverman is pushing today and 
Day's Telegraph for Parliament to sit over Christmas. It is unlikely you're going to get this through, particularly the House of Lords, uh, and in terms of only a year or so before an election. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is, I think it could be the worst of both worlds, Richard, like, in that you have enough time for these Tory tribes, as you say, to, to cause him headaches and, and make a lot of pressure and make a lot of noise, but also not enough time to fix the underlying problem. So I think that it's going to be an issue. I wait to see you until Monday. The good news for Rishinik, as I say, is that open warfare didn't break out this week. But I think that given where the polls are now, given that the Rhino scheme has not taken off as there were so many optimistic briefings that it would mm. um, and given that the things he is doing correctly he is not getting political credit for like perhaps inflation or you know the basic stability offered with the polls now in the lower end of the 20s than they were at the upper end of the 20s only this year I think it is going to be a difficult few months which is why of course the pressure is on Jeremy Hunt to deliver things that perhaps instinctively Sunak and Hunt would not necessarily want to deliver yeah and Isabel, on Suella Braverman, I mean, she she promised in her resignation statement that we'd hear from her in due course, and we really haven't had to wait long. What did you make of her most recent interjection in the Telegraph last night? Yeah, she's, so she's um, not particularly surprisingly criticised uh, Rishi Sunak's plan to get flights going to Rwanda before the next election. Her um, line is that this will not happen. And uh, she sets out a number of tests um, for, for for a successful plan. Um, it's, it's interesting, actually. She uses a phrase that a, a lot of lawyers who are sort of on the more kind of, I suppose, the liberal end of um, immigration politics have used, which is that the, the new treaty is, is, is magical thinking. And the idea that, that just because you have a treaty with Rwanda and then you pass legislation in Parliament saying that Rwanda is a safe country for asylum processing therefore that that makes it that makes it a, a policy that can go ahead and she describes this process as being one that could culminate in yet another defeat the plan outlined by the prime minister will not yield flights to rwanda before an election and instead um the legislation that sunak is planning to introduce to parliament in the coming days should actually ignore the entirety of the human rights act and the european convention on human rights. Now, this is something that she has been pushing the Prime Minister on for more than a year from the Home Office and uh, obviously was was always going to do so much more loudly from the uh, backbenches. And I think it's really interesting the dynamic that, that James just described of those who are sort of around her, who are um, friendly with her or who are very much o- on her side, and then those in the wider party and how much currency she actually has for her um, for her points with Conservative MPs. I think it's a little bit like Liz Truss in that while the sort of parliamentary support may be quite low for, for the individual, actually the, um, the impact of their vocal campaigning from the sidelines is much more potent and you do then get the debate being pulled in a certain direction. Um, and I think we are going to see that continuing with the pressure on Rishi Sunak to make a manifesto commitment um, on the CHR, for instance. Mm. And James, just finally, it's not only Rishi Sunak that's had a difficult week. Also, Keir Starmer has, mm. after 56 of his MPs, rebelled against the party line on a ceasefire in Gaza. 
it looks like this this is obviously an issue which hugely divides the Labour Party. It looks like it will continue to do so for some time. Mm. Do you think we should brace ourselves for more resignations over this issue? I can't see any imminent ones. I think it all depends on events, and and, and that is twofold. One of which is, frankly, if Israel was to commit any act of war that was seen as particularly unpalatable or or heinous, which would then, I think, reduce sympathy for Israel. That could be one element. The second of all could be if, if some political change in Westminster in terms of, you know, this week we had the SNP with a, a brilliant piece of parliamentary chichinery, which is to uh, have this vote, which obviously then split their main opposition up in Scotland, the Labour Party on it. So if there was a vote or key crunch point, I think that's the key thing here. There's a lot of tensions running high, but it's can you bring them to the surface? Can you cause a kind of a crux issue or crux moment until that happens? And or, I mean, as I say, say there's a kind of moment in Israel which really crystallises opinion and hardens it. I, I can't see it really changing in the immediate term, but I do think, as you allude to Oscar, um, for as long as this war goes on, it's going to be a continuing issue for Keir Starr and it's not going away anytime soon. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening.